Cattenson is a singer, writer, biology student, and social media personality. She identified as a transgender man for over 15 years and began taking testosterone at the recommendation of doctors and trans activists, which we talked about in part one of our conversation. In part two, we explore how Kat is demystifying gender identity theory. After many hours of research and speaking with a diverse group of people who have been harmed in various ways, she decided she had to use her platform to speak out. She has posted hundreds of videos on detransitioning, the serious risks of attempting to change one's sex, and how gender ideology endangers women and children. She has since received backlash from trans activists, allies, and even California senators. Kat has received death threats and has been banned from social media multiple times. Once a Democrat, she no longer feels supported by her party and considers herself politically homeless. With part two of our interview, I'm Sienna May Heath, and this is Leaving the Left for Liberty. I'm Kat, and I identified as a transgender male starting at age 13. I medically transitioned later as an adult. After years of struggling with gender dysphoria, along with diagnosed anorexia, bulimia, anxiety, and depression, I thought that pursuing medical transition and living as the opposite sex would bring me happiness. I believe what trans activists told me, that transitioning was my best option and the only way to prevent suicide. I received a prescription for testosterone from the Planned Parenthood here in Sacramento after only a 30-minute phone call with the doctor. No blood work nor therapy was required. My other serious psychological issues, as well as my hesitation due to being unsure of the effects testosterone would have on my singing voice, were of no concern to the doctor. I was a semi-professional singer at this time. Hormones, but not therapy, were covered by my health insurance. A second Planned Parenthood doctor wrote me an approval letter for a double mastectomy, also without any in-person meeting or recommendation that I address my other mental health issues first. Like the larger theme, even outside of like gender ideology and women's rights is like an abuse of power. And that's why many of us feel very politically homeless because whether it's the left or the right, any sort of like authoritarian, I know better than you policy, like, or behavior, especially on the part of a politician is just, I mean, it's just unacceptable and really distasteful. Um, and, and thinking about women's safety and girls' safety, what, what comes to mind is like the cycle of abuse and narcissism in particular. I mean, one, one way of carrying out narcissism is like someone basically saying that my feelings are the truth and your logic is offensive. And that was how um, like, the, the, like the incident at We Spa, um, specifically, I believe, as I understand it, he was in a, a tub or some sort of, you know, some sort of tub with a mother and a little girl and like the reaction from like the police and from mass media and you know many other critics was was kind of an it was like a showcase of narcissism where they were like oh even you know even in such an obvious example like having a little girl exposed to that without her consent without her mother's consent 
somehow like the ideology gender theory just bulldozed over like the most sacred of principles moral principles which is consent like i do not consent to this and pretty much like the overwhelming response from the left like the cultural left was we don't care and that like for me that was just narcissism rearing its ugly head just we don't care our feelings are facts and your logic is offensive like that was the overwhelming message that i observed absolutely i mean it's it's terrifying really um to think how we could get so quickly from you know i mean obviously in no situation should there be a little girl in a tub with a stranger you know uh with with his genitalia on full display you know I, and it's, it's like how did we get so quickly from that being basically the worst thing that could happen to just oh well you know as, as long as the person says that they're transgender um then they're a woman and, it, and it's fine um you know it just it makes no sense and i posted a video some time ago as well about you know just there's been con some concerns raised by leah thomas's teammates uh about just the full nudity in the locker room and you know basically leah expressing that expressing an attraction to women and then just being like you know everything out in the locker room and that it doesn't matter if the girls feel uncomfortable um their coach just says you have to deal with it anyway and that is that is just such a theme of this movement um it's like you don't like it you feel unsafe uh well that doesn't matter because you know you're cis and this other group is is you know they're far more oppressed than you and far more unsafe than you so you know you should just shut up and deal with it. I mean, it really is just like, ironically, it's just the ultimate sexism, you know, like, like women should just, we're not even allowed to talk about it without being called transphobic. Um, so yeah, it's, it's unbelievable how we got here so quickly. It is. And, and I know you've received an overwhelming amount of backlash since you started sharing your story of detransitioning and just your, your views on things. Um, what happened with the California senators? So, um, so there was a bill recently, it's Senate Bill 923, and there's been some revisions since, uh, there's, there's been some revisions since I first read it, but essentially what the bill entails is that all medical professionals in California will have to go through a training where they will be taught by trans activists how to treat trans patients. And originally these were not medically trained people that would be conducting the training. They're literally just, you know, ideologically driven activists. And, um, you know, and I know what trans activists are pushing for because I've, I've been through it myself. I've talked to many of them, you know, I've, I, I've heard the arguments for like affirmative care and inf the informed consent model is what they want everywhere, which is basically, um, you know, a person goes in, they say, I have gender dysphoria, um, 
I identify as trans uh, or a man, woman, non-binary, whatever their identity is. And the doctor is just supposed to be like, okay, here are the risks, which again, they don't even know all of the risks because of the lack of, of studies. So it's not truly informed consent. And then they just say, you know, sign this and then you get your, your hormones on the first visit. Um, they're trying to eliminate all requirements for, you know, any type of legal or, um, you know, having to see a psychiatrist, having to get approval from a doctor and anything like that. They're trying to like eliminate that. Um, and so basically these trans activists would be training all of the doctors in California. Um, I believe it, it goes further than just doctors. It's, it's anyone uh, working in a medical facility that will have contact with trans patients. So, you know, it could be the receptionist, uh, nurses, whatever. And so it's gonna be horrendously expensive for one thing. And the other thing is that if a doctor does not follow the instructions of the trans activists. So let's say, you know, like I'll use myself in, as an example. I was someone who had, you know, a host of other mental health issues that should have been concerning to the provider who was um, treating me. But, you know, if they're practicing affirmative care, they're supposed to just affirm the identity no matter what. They're supposed to, you know, basically give the hormones to anyone who asks, uh, give them what they ask for, or uh, refer them to someone who will provide that care. And if they don't do it, then they essentially are forced to go back to the training. As, um, so they no longer are operating under their own medical expertise or according to their training. Instead, they have to adopt this ideology and these instructions from you know, un, untrained activists. So um, I went to the Senate to speak out against that bill and I told my story of detransition. Um, I told how quickly, how um, just how dangerously these medications are being uh, given out. And they basically just dismissed me and said, well, we know that can't be happening because you have to have a, a diagnosis first and you have to go through a certain number of visits to have a diagnosis, which is um, just complete bogus information because if you go to Planned Parenthood's website, they say right on their website that hormones are basically guaranteed um, in, during the first visit. Um, so anyway, I spoke out about it. They basically called my story rhetoric and um, there was about 50 people, at least 50 people who called to oppose as well. And they just, you know, they wrote all of them off as rhetoric as well. And, um, you know, so that's just the narrative. Either you're, you're on board with all this ideology or you're transphobic, you know, <laughs> even if you're just sharing your personal story, you're transphobic. So, so yeah, I didn't know well, yeah. but you know, yeah. I was I was happy that I at least did it, you know, and, and said my piece and and um and I'm not gonna stop fighting. Thank you. Thank you. And and you made a good point, even even if you are detransitioned or even if you are trans identified, somehow like there's just no cracking this this ideology like they they are so bullheaded even trans or sorry trans identified people like I'm thinking of Blair White Buck Angel Rose of Dawn all trans identified um they seem like fully transitioned you know like they're committed and yet even even when they diverge from the ideology they're not heard 
Um, like I, I had an interaction with someone a while back who, so I, I had noticed that a trans woman actually signed the, the letter that um, JK Rowling had signed with a bunch of other writers and um, academics about freedom of speech back in Harper's Magazine a couple years ago. And, and so there's this trans identified, I guess it would be a trans identified male who signed the letter you know, agreeing like JK Rowling should have her freedom of speech, just like anyone. And she wrote a, or he wrote a, a beautiful op-ed explaining that position. And I, I sent it to a trans activist thinking, oh, like this will work. Like this is the perfect bridge builder, a trans identified person sticking up for JK Rowling. Like what could go wrong? And I mean, they, they, said some of like the most horrid things um, and refused to read it. And that, that really stuck with me because it was one of the first times where I was genuinely surprised because I thought this will certainly work. A trans identified person agreeing with me, agreeing with freedom of speech. What, why do you think that even a trans identified person can't crack this mob mentality? Hmm. Well, I think going back to what you said before about it being about power, um, I really think it, it comes down to that. Um, I'm not saying that every single person who's invested in the trans ideology is power hungry, but I do think that the, I do think the major players that are kind of advancing the agenda forward, um, I mean, I, I do think it is about um, conversion and it is about power. And so they don't want to hear, they don't want to hear opposing views. I, I mean, I, th I think for some people, it's just too painful for them to hear because they, you know, they have mental illness or whatever. But I think in, the, in, in, the, in terms of um, the people who are really furthering this agenda, they, they want to just silence the other voices. Like, like they're not, you're not going to be able to convince them because they're, you know, it's not even about helping people for them, or it's not about truth for them. It's about getting what they want. And um, so when a, when a trans identified person doesn't agree, um, you know, that they want to silence that even more because, uh, you know, that is a more powerful, uh, that's a more powerful rebuttal when someone who's, you know, says I'm trans myself and I don't agree with this. And, you know, and by the way, I do appreciate, um, I do appreciate the trans identified people who have spoken out about like males and women's sports. And, um, you know, I, I do appreciate them like acknowledging some of, uh, you know, some of the, the huge problems with the current ideology. And, you know, I, like it's a free country and and I understand that you know my path of detransition isn't what everybody's gonna go through and you know like like I, I actually have I, I have mad respect for those people I really do um because I know how difficult it is to speak out and have an unpopular opinion um and so I appreciate that you know I still might not agree with them on everything but also um you know actually Blair White followed me on Twitter the other day I was like oh that's cool <laughs> Um, and uh, Blair's shared some of my videos as uh, part of a video on detransition, which I thought was cool. And, you know, and I appreciate that. I appreciate 
uh, detransitioners being highlighted and because I, I think it's an important side of the story. And um, so anyway, not to get too sidetracked, but, you know, it's kind of the same thing as when, um, you know, someone's, you know, black and conservative or something like that. It's like, it's like suddenly you don't care about people of color speaking out. Like if it's, if they have an unpopular opinion, then it doesn't matter anymore. Or, uh, and I just think it really exposed, exposes the hypocrisy where it's like, you know, basically this, this, um, this pyramid scheme or, um, or not really a pyramid, but more of like a ladder where it's like, obviously the, the cis hetero white male is at the bottom of the ladder and their, their opinion, like doesn't matter at all. And then, you know, just barely above them are, you know, us lowly white cis women. Um, I don't even believe in the word cis, but I'm just using it from like, <laughs> you know, and then, you know, progressively going up and up and, and, you know, at the top you have trans women of color and, you know, their word is just, um, you know, they're the ones that should have all of the, all of the speaking time and should be listened to the most. And, um, but then as soon as someone has like an unpopular opinion, like it, it doesn't matter if they're black, it doesn't matter if they're trans, uh, you know, if they're, if, if they don't believe in this, you know, gender ideology and, you know, going further than that, like just this social justice at all costs, I guess I would call it ideology. Um, it's like they, you know, then people on the left won't listen to them either. Um, and, and so I just think, I think that's a huge problem. I think everybody's voice needs to be heard and we need to just be more, you know, like we talked about earlier, like, you know, just even if someone's point of view, like makes you uncomfortable, like, I, I think it's really important to listen to it anyway. And then you can decide like whether you agree with it, but just this, the silencing is, um, how I think we ended up just so polarized and how we're, you know, I think both the left and the right to some degree are becoming echo chambers, but more so the left a little bit, you know, like I've, I've definitely, I've, I've had more conversations with conservatives online who I don't agree with a lot of their views, but we're still able to talk and have a dialogue versus, um, it, it just seems like with a lot of people on the left, when they see my videos, they just immediately go to attacking me and you know not only that but trying to get me deplatformed sending me death threats and i've definitely never gotten any of that from from people on the right so mm. i'll say that yeah well and like you were saying being a black conservative like suddenly suddenly your voice doesn't matter to the left the left that claims to care about people of color and lifting black voices, suddenly they don't care. Now, frankly, I haven't heard much talk about lifting women's voices from the left in a long time, um, but I do hear talk about LGBTQ, and, and yet if you're LGB, if you're a lesbian, or if you're gay or bisexual, and you have an unpopular opinion on the T, then you're outed as well. And yet they still continue with, and you know, I, I hate when people call my words rhetoric, but I'm gonna do it. Like they still continue with the rhetoric of LGBTQ and inclus inclusivity. And I'm like, I just wish that they would tell the truth. Like it's, you can have your ideology, but like, just tell the truth. Like we don't accept 
gay people who think this way or lesbians who think this way, like just, just come out, come out with it. And yet they still, they just continue with this cycle and they continue with these labels of saying, we support the LGBTQ community. When frankly, there is no such community. There, there's not room for diversity yeah. of thought. They actually pride themselves on fluidity while being very rigid in their dogma and in their beliefs and in the policy that is birthed from that. Right, absolutely. And, you know, similarly, similarly to how, um, you know, the T and the Q are co-opting the words woman and lesbian and, and things like that, um, you know, these words gay and lesbian are actually being taken away from people who are actually gay and lesbian, because now people who are only attracted to one sex are being called genital fetishists. Um, because, you know, the T is trying to redefine, well, not not everybody, like, like I said, I, I, I try not to make sweeping generalizations, but according to the popular, you know, gender ideology, um, you know, being a lesbian is a non-man attracted to non-men. And that if, if you are a, you know, a female who, if you are a lesbian woman who is not interested in sleeping with someone with a penis, which, you know, just a few years ago, that's the definition of lesbian, right? And uh, so then you are not a lesbian anymore. You are transphobic and you are a genital fetish, fetishist. Um, and, you know, so that's, you know, similarly to how like the word woman is being taken away. It's, it's like, just, you know, it's very 1984, um, like just the language is being corrupted and words don't mean anything anymore because it comes down to, well, you know, what is a non-man? Um, like, does that mean like a cat? <laughs> <laughs> non <laughs> but then even deeper than that, I mean, like, what does a man mean anymore? Like it doesn't, according to this new ideology, like it, it doesn't mean anything anymore. And people will say man and woman are just labels. Uh, but, you know, no, it's not. It's, it's like saying that a couch is a label or, you know, a car is a label. It's like, we all say the word car and, you know, and, and, and of course there's a word for car in other languages as well. And it's like, we say it because there's a consensus on what that thing actually is. And, um, you know, if everything is just labels and a word can mean a million different things to a million different people, it's, it's I mean, how we just can't communicate with each other anymore. And that's just where we start getting into really crazy territory. Mm. I think we're already there. <laughs> we are. Yeah, we are there. Um, you know, reflecting on like the history of LGB activism in particular, one of the like the common pushbacks, people will say, well, um, like there was a lot of prejudice against homosexuality decades ago. And, and it was a process. People had to get over that. And then they'll continue and say, and now it's time for people to accept transgenderism in the same way that they had to accept homosexuality. It's the new wave of activism and you'll come around eventually. What, what would you say to that? Oh, I've definitely heard that one. <laughs> um, and, you know, the thing is, is it, that it's actually the opposite. It's like in order to, to come around to gender ideology, you have to reverse course on, you know, women's rights, LGB rights, 
Um, and it, you know, I would even go so far to say that, I mean, it's, it's harming other minority groups as well, because um, it's just become like the whole ideology has become just this cult um, where, you know, you're, you're just not allowed to stray from the narrative at all. And like, I've been called a racist so many times just for, just for speaking out against gender ideology. And I've had people being racist to me and saying, I have no right to speak because I'm white, um, because I'm a white woman. And, you know, versus if I was non-binary and it's almost always white people <laughs> that are coming, other white people that are coming at me and saying this, you know, and it's like, you know, a lot of them are like white and, you know, non-binary or something. And they're telling me I'm a racist just because like, I, like I've never said anything. I, I hardly ever even speak about racial issues other than, you know, um, <laughs> I like to call, I like to call people out on, on gender politics by bringing up, well, what if someone identified as black or identified as, you know, Hispanic or like whatever, like I'll, I'll bring up that analogy and people will call me racist because of it. But it's like, but it's like, why? Like, in, you know, if, if it's all about self-identity and just how you feel, then, you know, why is it valid to feel like a man when you're not, but it's, you know, it's not valid to feel like you're, um, black when you're not, or, or Asian when you're not, and it, it already is starting, you know, people are identifying as transracial, but, um, but yeah, the thing is, is that people are not going to just come around to trans ideology, in fact, I think the pushback is going to get even bigger and bigger, um, because it's only getting more polarized and more crazy, and, um, you know, I think people are starting to wake up, uh, you know, I, I don't watch Fox News, but uh, recently, a, f a few days ago, um, a, a detransitioner, another detransitioner was on Tucker Carlson. And, you know, I saw the YouTube video and it's it's got over a million views now. And people are going to be waking up to this stuff um, already, you know, LGBT people and women, especially, and also concerned parents of you know, children who identify as trans, they're starting to wake up. And so I think the harder, um, the harder that these trans activists push, the more pushback they're, they're going to get. So, um, and, and the thing that just concerns me and makes me sad is just how many people are going to be caught in the crossfire. Because I think that like, you know, I think LGB people do, of, of, I mean, trans people deserve respect also as well. Everyone is deserving of respect, but I feel like the, the LGB community was just recently um, beginning to be taken more seriously by the public and, you know, it was be becoming less stigmatized. And I think that that's, you know, I think it's a good thing um, because in my, in my book, what happens between two consenting adults isn't any of my business. And I don't really think that it's harming anybody else in the same way that, you know, giving a, a 10 year old child puberty blockers is going to affect that child's life. And, um, and you know, the, the psychological harm as well of believing you're trapped in the wrong body. Um, and, you know, one sad thing is that I see people, they take the gender ideology and they think it's the entire LGB community or the entire LGBT community that believes in that. And um, they just lump them all into one category. And I, I definitely see a backlash of, you know, homophobic, homophobia as well, because people just think it's all the same thing because they're not, they're not informed about it. So I feel that part of my mission as well is to, you know, just 
separate the two like you know being gay or lesbian is not an ideology like that that is something that you can't control it is it's just who you're attracted to um you know there's been scientific studies on attraction as well and that you know different parts of the uh you know whether you're homosexual or bisexual it's like your your brain will light up to in response to images of the same sex or opposite sex like it is a physical you know biochemical reaction that's happening and so you know it's not the same as this metaphysical belief of gender identity that can never be confirmed in material reality listening to you talk i was also thinking about all the people that are caught in the crossfire of this because if if the the resistance is going to grow people who are trans identified are going to feel so heartbroken they're going to feel dehumanized because their personhood and their sense of safety hinges on this ideology they're going to feel like it's a witch hunt against them and i don't know i I don't know how to help them because I, I do, I do agree with you. You said in passing, it's almost like a cult and it's like, I don't know. I've tried in so many ways I've off, you know, I, I, almost anytime I offer empathy to the other side of the line, it's not reciprocated. Um, and there's only so many ways to try and to speak and to just express yourself and even, you know, communicate some love and compassion before, you know, any, any rational thinking feeling person gives up and joins the resistance i mean what what do you think it's going to be like for trans identified people as this wave of resistance grows so you know thinking back to when i was in that time where where i was trans identified and i i think i was the most sensitive that i've ever been in my life and I am naturally a sensitive person too but during that time I mean it was just so easy for someone to to ruin my day like you know if it was misgendering or bringing up something like trans athletes or you know because the idea is like you know if trans women are women then you know they should be able to play in in women's sports and you know that's the whole idea of it and so when someone would bring something up like that to me it's like I I felt like it was I took it as a personal attack on my identity like well if they don't think trans women are women then they must not you know think my identity is valid either and um it's hard for me to even understand where I was at mentally during that time but yes it was extremely hard for me to hear any conflicting views and so I definitely don't think it's it's going to be you know easy for them and there's so much inflammatory media from both sides you know I I feel like there's so many people on both sides just trying to call the other person out as you know being a horrible person or whatever and I guess the way I approach it is you know, I stand firm on my views and I, you know, I'm not going to back down from what I believe in or compromise to placate somebody else, but I try to, I try to take a very compassionate approach and I try to put 
put myself in that person's shoes, um, which I know is maybe a little trickier to do if, if you're not detrans yourself. But I, you know, I think it's, um, it's important to give people the benefit of the doubt that, you know, studies have shown that the majority of trans identified people have comorbid mental illnesses. Um, a lot of them have trauma, abuse in their past, um, or, you know, just for whatever reason, they're not feeling comfortable in their body and they're, they're having a really hard time. And I think approaching it from that angle and trying to hold space for them, even if they do lash out at you. Um, and obviously, you know, there's a time and a place for everything. Like if someone just keeps being awful to me and, you know, verbally abusing me or something, I'll, I'll just block them. But um, I try to never let myself become disrespectful or, um, you know, people always say like, well, I just mirror energy back at, at the person. And, you know, sometimes that has its place, but I, I always try to be as kind and compassionate as possible. But I, I just try to explain my point of view in, in a reasonable way. And, you know, I've, I've actually talked to quite a few people who were trans identified um, when I first met them and they have now detransitioned. And, um, you know, just, just patience because most people um, do not change their minds overnight. Like, um, you know, it took me six months to really reject the gender ideology because, you know, like at first I was still like, I was still uncomfortable being a woman even though I had gone off testosterone. So that was where the non-binary identity came into play. And I just, you know, I wasn't ready to let all of it go. I didn't want to. And, you know, I, I didn't want to be a bad person either because there's so much morality like attached to it. Like if you don't believe in gender identity, you're just a bigot. Um, and, but yeah, it took me about six months to fully like, I guess, ideologically detransition as well. And so, you know, I have trans identified people coming on my TikTok page, especially all the time and just kind of asking questions and, you know, sometimes making arguments of their own. And as long as they're not being disrespectful um, or even if they are, um, but not, you know, if they're being a little shady, but not like outright hateful, I'll still sometimes engage. And, you know, I just try to explain things as calmly and like logically as I can. Um, it's hard sometimes, like sometimes I get really, frustrated but um and I think that is how we're going to make things the best for those people you know because because I, I don't think I don't think enabling someone's mental illness is kind I, I don't think uh I don't think altering language to fit a delusion or you know or giving up uh, giving up my own boundaries and my own beliefs to make someone else more comfortable. I think that's, that's not actually love that's enabling. And so I think just sticking to your guns, but doing it in like a kind and compassionate way is really, um, the way to go. And that's just the way I see it. Although it is, it's really hard. And, uh, you know, I think people are really justifiably angry about, you know, the direction that, this movement is headed um and you know i i feel like it's always women that people are like oh you know you have to just be calm and uh and unemotional all the time and just be kind and um like never get upset and so i i also like when i just see like a woman you know on tiktok or whatever just going off about like all this stuff like I, i'm also like yeah 
but you know, in my experience, the best response that I get from others, which is what I'm looking for is, you know, I really just want to encourage dialogue and conversation. And it's really when I just kind of, um, just try to be calm and reasonable about it. Mm. Something that's coming up for me is the difference at times, the difference between having just a difference of opinion and a difference in values. And so I'm curious, like, have, have you come to a place in any of your relationships when a difference in opinion has created a difference in values and you've had to end that relationship? Um, I've had quite a few relationships and since detransitioning, um, so, you know, that's, it's unfortunate. It's, it's been hard. Um, you know, I think that, um, I think that people, I don't know if it's that my values really have changed. Um, but it's, it's more what people make up about my values based on my opinion that isn't even necessarily what I believe. Um, like, I, I think that people on both sides, like, um, you know, I don't even like to make it sound like it's a war, like, but I mean, the thing about this ideology is just, there's really no middle ground is, is the thing about it. You know, it's, it's either anyone who says they're a woman is a woman and that's how we define woman, or it's, you know, a woman is an adult human female. Uh, like there really isn't, a middle ground when it comes to that central you know dogma of of the gender ideology and um but i think people on both sides are really um you know the majority of people on both sides i think are doing what they think is right and i think that part of the propaganda on the left is that if you don't support transgender people you are automatic it's automatically because you are bigoted and also homophobic um or rather, you know, transphobic and also homophobic. And um, so I think that the people who have cut off relationship with me, um, they think that I, like the, the narrative that I hear from people is like that I've let my experiences blind me and that um, I'm biased because of my transition experience when actually that couldn't be, that couldn't be further from the truth because when I first detransitioned, you know, I, I was forced to, Due to the health issues right and and my voice and just everything and it took me a long time to let go of, of the gender the the gender ideology after that and part of the reason why i was able to was from speaking to tons of other people that had been through what i was had been through by looking at the science and just really digging and, and trying to, to get as close to the truth as i could and it you know it has nothing to do with me just going off of my one experience but you know that seems to be the narrative that, you know, people who are either, you know, some of them are just people unfollowing me online and they always have to give their like, you know, I'm unfollowing you because of this, you know, and I'm like, okay, like, you know, feel free. But a lot of the reasons given by both people online and in real life is that, um, you know, I'm biased because I myself detransition and that I, I've taken on some bigoted views now um, and that I no longer believe in equality or human rights or, any of the things that I still firmly believe in because I, I hold gender critical opinions. And, um, you know, I, I mean, I'm sure that I, I think as humans, we all have some level of, of bias uh, somewhere in there. You know, I'm not saying that I'm perfect, but 
Um, but yeah, I don't really think my core values have changed in that, you know, I, I really like want the best for everybody. And I, I want people to be happy and just healthy and live their best lives. And um, I really, I think that I believed in the same things when I was believing in, you know, gender ideology. And I thought that that was aligned with those things. But then upon like really inspecting it, I just realized that it's actually the opposite of all hmm. of those values. Hmm. That's actually, it's such a beautiful answer um, to, to remember that a lot of these people probably have the same values. They just have a different way of expressing it. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I think the majority, um, they really, they want trans people and just people to be happy in, in general. And they think that like having this high degree of, you know, personal, I, I think they see transition as like personal freedom and, you know, and that that is, that's what we need to reach the, that's what these people, this group needs to reach the ultimate happiness and that, you know, trans rights are human rights because, you know, it's this thing that this group needs to, to be truly fulfilled and happy. And I think that's why they support it. Um, but I mean, I guess, I guess there could be a difference in values when it comes to just, I feel like sometimes people get X, uh, not x-ray vision, but um, laser focused on just the needs of one particular group um, without looking at how it's impacting um, the rest of, you know, the rest of society. And, you know, and I, and I feel like this mantra, of, you know, trans rights are human rights. Um, you know, it gets a little bit suspicious because it's like, well, you know, it's certainly not women's rights. Um, it's certainly not, you know, children's rights to be not experimented on as, as children and adolescents. And, um, but I think that they think that, you know, it is benefiting all of humanity. And when you try to point out the holes in that, they just rely on, well, you must have different values than me because you're clearly bigoted. Another form of rights that comes into play is parental rights. Um, and yeah, like I, I know you, you have you have your um, your views to share on the the bill in Texas that was passed a couple of months ago, um, which basically asserts that medicalizing children is a form of child abuse, which is a bold claim um, that many agree with. Do you agree with that? The short answer is yes. I I do believe that it's child abuse. I, I think that experimenting on children and, you know, cutting off healthy body parts, injecting them full of drugs that have never been tested to be safe. Um, <clears throat> I think it's one of the worst kinds of child abuse and especially like not knowing how it's going to affect them going forward like like we don't know what these kids lives are going to look like you know 10 or 15 years from now um and however i i mean i i think that the responsibility should be placed more on the medical professionals and i'm um, like like i think a lot of these people um who are writing the guidelines for you know, like I, I, WPATH is Canada, uh, but, you know, I know the AAP has come out with, you know, they've, they've endorsed children medically transitioning now. And it's just, 
it's all just, um, you know, I'm, I always think I sound like a conspiracy theorist when I say this, but you know, you, you, you have to follow the money and you've got pharmaceutical companies funding trans, uh, researchers that are researching trans medicine. And then you've got uh, these people writing the guidelines that are undoubtedly being influenced by trans lobbyists and pharmaceutical companies. And um, so, you know, I, I don't know how long it's going to take, but I think that these people need to go to jail. Uh, and, and those are the people that should really be penalized the most. Um, because I think probably the majority of people who are transing their kids, of parents who are transing their kids, I think they are brainwashed by these organizations. And they're, they're literally being told by doctors and activists online that, um, that it is what's best for their kid and that their kid's gonna commit suicide if they don't allow them to transition. And so, I mean, I hear that and I just instantly think manipulation because, you know, whenever, you know, someone uses the tactic of, well, you should let me do this thing because I'll kill myself if, if you don't, or, um, you know, it doesn't matter if this thing's right or wrong. Um, if you don't do it, I'm gonna kill myself. Like, like that is a form of, of narcissistic manipulation. That, and, and so that raises red flags for me, like immediately. Um, but, you know, these parents don't know and they're scared and that's what they're hearing from medical professionals. And so I don't, you know, I don't entirely blame them for that. Although I do still think that they're enabling child abuse. And, you know, right now the, the short path to stopping medical experimentation on children is is to criminalize it as child abuse, then like, then I, I think it's better than nothing. Um, but yeah, just on a larger scale. Oh, and just briefly, I want to mention that I do think there are some parents that, um, that benefit in some way from having trans children and are, are, are kind of using them for clout. I think they're a much rarer, uh, they're much a rarer breed of parent that are actually doing that, but I see it on TikTok, you know, I, I see it, um, you know, actually quite frequently with, with parents that are just, you know, affirming their, their trans three-year-old or whatever, you know, um, but I think the majority are just scared. So I, I really think it's these uh, pharmaceutical companies, it's the researchers that are taking bribes and twisting the science. And then it's these organizations profiting off of writing phony guidelines, um, like, I think it's going to be the next lobotomy and that, you know, these people are going to be in loads of trouble, like, you know, I don't know, 15 years down the line or something. It's possible. Um, you mentioned science and I, you know, what I find really interesting about both sides is they actually have something else in common um, besides their, their concern for parental rights. They also... There, there are people on both sides, I will say, that believe that science as an institution has been corrupted. Um, like one side believes that gender is a form of colonialization and like it's been in the, you know, for like thousands of years, we've just been manipulated to believe that there's only men and women and the occasional intersex. Um, and then the other side, like believes the same thing in essence, that science has been corrupted as an institution and they believe that there's a transhumanist agenda behind the push of gender ideology could there be any nuggets of truth in 
what they're saying? Like, like both of those narratives? I mean, basically that science as an institution has been corrupted. Oh, oh yes. I mean, I, I think that, um, I mean, like all, like all things that humans do, um, you know, science is a field that can, that can be corrupted as well. Um, however, I don't, I don't see it as just like, um, I, I don't see it as a black hole that that can't be fixed or that it's just gonna keep getting worse and worse. Um, like I, I do actually see some light at the end of the tunnel because I mean, um, well, I mean like one example is like, um, this, this might seem tangential, but um, did you hear about like the company Theranos and uh, Elizabeth Holmes was the CEO there's a docu there's a uh, dramatization on Hulu about it, but basically she had this blood testing company that um, the technology was fake and didn't really work accurately, and um, it became a billion dollar company before you know there started the public backlash. Basically, took them down as you know people were getting inaccurate blood tests. Um, there were whistleblowers, and the thing ended up getting shut down. But um, like. I think if enough people are getting harmed by this agenda, um, you know, I do think that they're, you know, transhumanism is an interesting idea. I, I honestly haven't looked into it enough. Like I haven't, I haven't looked into all the theories enough to like really confirm for you, like whether I know that that's what's going on or not. Like, I, I don't know. I, I, I personally just look at it in terms of greed and power and, you know, and, and who's really like going for that, but um, I, I think that there's going to be so many people harmed by this, like sadly, I mean, it's already happening and it's going to continue to happen because more and more children are being indoctrin indoctrinated into this. And I don't think that this group has enough power to shut down, you know, likely hundreds of thousands, you know, maybe millions of people who are going to be permanently sterilized they're going to have brain damage, um, you know, osteoporosis at young ages, just, you know, absolutely horrendous health effects. And, um, and also there's, you know, there's the religious side of it as well. And um, like, like one of the American values is freedom of religion. And, you know, already uh, churches are getting in trouble for not uh, validating trans identity and, and things like that and you know there's a lot of people in this country who are religious and I, I just I don't think like even if it is a small elite group that is controlling this agenda I don't believe they yet have so much power that they're going to be able to silence uh you know hundreds of thousands to millions of people who are going to eventually speak out about this um and you know half the country typically you know, even though traditionally I've been more aligned with the left um, in terms of politics, less so now, but um, I mean, the Republicans don't support any of this stuff, you know, um, like I said, this uh, Helena was just on Tucker Carlson. And um, so I know that, you know, that side is, is going to fight tooth and nail to stop this ideology from taking over everywhere and and I see some people on the left as 
well who are becoming disillusioned with it. So anyway, I don't think it, I don't think it's hopeless, and I, I I certainly don't think that science has been made completely obsolete and no longer valuable because of this. Um, although it does have its problems, just like many other people do. Yeah, I would hope not. Um, when I, as I do see the left and the right fighting it out, um, it just seems almost inevitable that the state is going to take control in some way and strip parents of their rights, whether it's, you know, on the left of um, sort of sneakily getting kids to talk about their gender identity with their, their teachers, um, or you know, it's, I feel like it's a little bit more like infiltrated on the left. There's not like a clear, like we're giving you up to the state, but like, you know, those of us who are awake can kind of see that through the school system and other avenues. And then on the right, like with the Texas bill, um, the supposition that this is child abuse kind of puts the state in a position to take the kids away from their parents, which is really heartbreaking too. And I, like I hear you, I do feel like there is light at the end of the tunnel, but I worry about how we're going to get there. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, I, I think there is going to be a ton of fallout, but we we're already seeing it. I mean, I'm friends with a lot of parents who have kids going through this and I've heard, you know, the courts are getting involved in their situation. Um, you know, one of them is, it's like, I, I guess if there's two parents, uh, both have to give consent for puberty blockers. And, you know, one of these parents, uh, the only reason the kid hasn't been already medicalized is because she's pushing back and saying no. Um, and yeah, I mean, it is scary that to think of kids being taken away from the parents. I mean, you know, when I think about, when I think about the Texas situation, um, and it's like, you know, would I rather a kid being put on puberty blockers or would I rather them being taken away from the parents? Like, you know, are they being taken away and put in another situation where they could be in foster care and then medicalized, you know, like, that's not good. I obviously don't want to see that happening, but um, I just, um, I, when I think of the effects on the brain um, like, like with puberty blockers, um, and, and going straight from puberty blockers to cross-sex hormones, uh, you know, it, it affects the way different parts of the brain function and, uh, basically the, it will never develop normally. So that, so they're going to end up permanently disabled from, uh, you know, from the puberty blockers. And it's, it's just such a difficult decision. Like, would I rather see kids permanently disabled or taken away from their parents? And so in that situation, like I would lean towards like, let's just, let's just do whatever we need to, to not medicalize the kids, you know, cause it, it cause it is permanent. Um, but then of course in California, you have kids, you know, uh, calling CPS because their parents aren't affirming their gender identity. And that's considered child abuse um and in Canada it's, it's officially considered child abuse and he and California is kind of heading like the same way and so then what happens in that situation is they're you know they're taken somewhere where they're able to be medicalized um by the state and you know not and be emancipated and not need the the uh parental permission 
and yeah like I don't want to see any of that happening um you know I just I kind of like I think it's important to talk about um like what what is the best case scenario here like like what can we do to protect these kids and you know it's like I'm just one person I, I feel so small sometimes in this situation like I don't know how to solve I don't know how to solve all the problems but I I do know that truth comes first truth and protecting the next generation you know should be our most important values as Americans and you know everything else must branch off from that you know um I heard it I forget who this quote was by darn it but um it goes if the truth will destroy it it should not exist oh and, I've seen uh, that yeah yeah so that's just how I feel about this this whole thing and you know any policy any you know whatever it, it, it has to be based on the fact that you know like gender identity is unscientific and, and and humans cannot change sex you know men are not women and women are not men so anything that is that goes against that or is you know going against those claims it's it's not founded in reality or truth so we should be skeptical of it yeah as we come to a close do you want to take a look at that twitter thread um about like the chromosomal sex and biological sex because like as i hear you talk about truth i mean i really i love exploring ideas like and if i'm if we're wrong about this like i want to know <laughs> i want to know if i'm wrong um and there's this twitter yeah. thread that we were looking at that's been going around um basically like affirming gender ideology on a scientific basis so do you mind if i like if i just read it to you and then we can pause and you can debunk it as you see fit. Sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. So this is a, a thread by Open Ocean Exploration, Rebecca R. Helm. And she says, friendly neighborhood biologist here. I see a lot of people are talking about biological sexes and gender right now. Lots of folks make biological sex seem really simple. Well, if it's so simple, let's find the biological roots, shall we? Let's talk about sex, a thread. If you know a bit about biology, you will probably say that biological sex is caused by chromosomes, XX and your female, XY and your male. This is chromosomal sex. But is it biological sex? Turns out there's only one gene on the Y chromosome that really matters to sex. It's called the SRY gene. During human embryonic development, the SRY protein turns on male-associated genes. Having an SRY gene makes you genetically male. But is this biological sex? So is it? Um, so, I mean, that's correct. It is, it is the SRY gene on the Y chromosome that determines whether someone will develop as a male. And, um, and that's how you can have, you know, females with what's called Swire syndrome, which is um, an XY female because uh, the Y chromosome lost the SRY gene somehow. And so, so the body um, development plan, you know, it will develop as female. 
Um, and then you, you can get a um, SRY gene, you know, uh, when, when the chromosomes are going through meiosis and, and the crossing over happens, if, if they cross over unevenly, you know, you can end up with some anomalies like this. And um, so you can actually have an XX male if the, um, if the SRY ends up becoming translocated onto the, the XX chromosome. Um, however, uh, and, and I, I think I might let you finish uh, reading the rest of it before I, before, before I get to my point, because um, like, although she's correct on, on a lot of these points, uh, she's not correct that they support gender ideology. Um, so so it's, it's, in the, it's in the interpretation. <laughs> yeah, yes, because she's describing an anomaly. Okay, so she continues. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah. So the, the example that I thought, oh, sorry. Yeah, why don't you finish and then, um, and then I'll give the, like what I think is a really good analogy for all of this. Okay. She writes, sometimes the SRY gene pops off and the Y chromosome, sorry, pops off the Y chromosome and over to an X chromosome. Surprise. So now you've got an X with an SRY and a Y without an SRY. What does this mean? A Y with no SRY physically means you're female. Chromosomally means you're male, XY. And genetically, you're female, no SRY. An X with an SRY means you're physically male, chromosomally female, and genetically male. But biological sex is simple. There must be another answer. Sex-related genes ultimately turn on hormones in specific areas on the body and reception of those hormones by cells throughout the body. Is this the root of biological sex? Hormonal male means you produce normal levels of male-associated hormones except some percentage of females will have a higher level of male ho hormones than some percentage of males. Ditto, ditto, female hormones. I just yes. want to say, okay. so it is so freaking offensive to say that a woman with PCOS, for instance, who just is biologically female, is a woman, but produces a slightly higher level of testosterone, isn't a woman. Like that is so incredibly, it's just, it's completely co-opting a group with a, with a disability um, for, an, for an agenda, for ideological purposes. Or, you know, similarly, there are males who due to a health condition or whatever, they, they have low testosterone, but does that make them not men? Uh, it's just, you know, it's, I, I mean, and like myself, uh, when I struggled with an eating disorder, um, you know, I lost my period, I had low low estrogen and I had some health effects because of that like did that make me not a woman uh you know because you know women with eating disorders who don't have enough estrogen like are they not women um so that's you know I, I find that really frustrating when people with physical conditions are then you know co-opted to validate uh gender ideology well that yeah that is an excellent point All right she finishes if you're developing, your body may not produce enough hormones to your genetic sex, leading you to be genetically male or female, chromosomally male or female, hormonally non-binary, 
and physically non-binary. Well, except cells have something to say about this. Maybe cells are the answer to biological sex, right? Cells have receptors that hear the signal from sex hormones, but sometimes those receptors don't work. Like a mobile phone that's on do not disturb. Call and sell, they will not answer. What does this all mean? It means you may be genetically male or female, chromosomally male or female, hormonally male, female, non-binary, with cells that may or may not hear the male, female, non-binary call, and all this leading to a body that can be male, non-binary, female. Um, so what we need to understand is that this percentage of people who are actually ambiguously, uh, who actually have ambiguous male and female characteristics who, you know, are, who for whom intersex would actually be an accurate term is a very, very small percentage. It's not 2% as, you know, the current gender activists uh, would like you to believe. Um, because I think it was, I think where the estimate came from of like 2% intersex population was from, uh, and Fausto, and Fausto Sterling release um, a study on the number of intersex people. And in, in, in her, uh, the groups that were considered intersex, you know, um, she was including people who had chromosomal conditions like XXY, which is Klein-Felter. And, you know, um, some people are born with just one X chromosome, uh, which is called Turner syndrome. And like, but the thing is, is that people with XXY are, are male. They, they always develop as male, you know, unless they're lacking an SRY gene, which would be like an extremely rare anomaly. But even then they would still, they would develop as female. So there's only two body plans for humans. Like there's, you know, there's male development and then uh, where they develop, you know, um, testes and a penis. And then there's, you know, female reproductive anatomy. Um, where it's ovaries and a vagina, and there isn't any, there isn't any intermediate uh, body plan, and there are no. And uh, I'm I'm surprised throughout that entire uh, that entire article that she didn't mention gametes at all, because technically, you know, technically the scientific definition um, of male and female is which body plan is designed. Uh, or is your body is your body plan designed to produce either male or female gametes, so eggs or sperm? And in order for sex to be a spectrum, there would have to be intermediate gametes. So you have eggs at one side of the spectrum and sperm at the other side of the spectrum, and then you have spegs somewhere in the middle. And you know, obviously, we we don't have that. Um, and you know, another analogy I thought of is. Um, so, you know, there are some people who are, okay, so there's, there's some people who are genetically African, let's say, but they also have a gene for albinism, right? So, so you have a person who's genetically black, but they are, you know, born white and, um, you know, or like what Michael Jackson had, you know, he had the, the skin disorder where your skin slowly, uh, turns white and you know so you know you're no you no longer appear 
you, you may not appear African anymore um, because of your skin tone changing or something like that. And um, so how would that be? So, so in that case, you know, obviously we would say, yeah, the person is genetically African, but, um, but then that would be like me saying, well, since some people are born with this, not this anomaly where, you know, they're, they're genetically black, but they don't look black. Um, that must mean I can just then identify as black. And that's, and that's valid. Like I'm, I'm clearly Caucasian, you know, like you can look at me and, uh, you, know, you can tell like I roughly what my ancestry is, but you know, that doesn't validate that then anyone can just identify as black just because like, um, just because anomaly anomalies exist. And, you know, when we're talking about trans identified people, um, the vast, vast majority are people who are clearly biologically male or female who are identifying as the opposite or just identifying as non-binary. And um, so just because there are these anomalies that exist with biological sex, um, you know, it doesn't then just say, well, anyone can be anything if they want. Like it, it just, um, you know, it just doesn't make any sense. And then these are the same people who are always saying, don't conflate sex and gender. Like this is all about biological sex. And then we're trying to say, well, gender is separate and that's what we should count. Like we should just count gender identity. So then it honestly makes the entire thread like pretty irrelevant. And it makes the, the, intersex, the intersex conversation pretty irrelevant because, you know, if the whole idea behind the movement is replacing biological sex with gender identity, and that gender identity is all that matters. Um, I, I feel like this intersex argument is just brought up to confuse the issue. And it's it really honestly, like I'm not intersex, but it does make me upset for people who are because you know I'm sure a lot of them aren't happy about being brought up to further an agenda because you know in their case it is a um, you know it's it is a biological and, and physical condition uh, that, you know, th they're born with. And it's, it's very different than someone, you know, having a psychological condition of gender dysphoria. I have heard those concerns raised by intersex individuals too, that they feel in a way erased or used um, to perpetuate the ideology. It's, it's so complicated. Thank you for, for helping me. Um, unpack that thread because it's something I people send that to me all the time and I'm like I don't know I'm not a scientist I don't know what to say um but yeah I mean coming back to like more of like the heart space and how to navigate what we're going through individually and collectively um is there anything that you'd want to say to parents listening or trans identified kids Oh, absolutely. Um, so for the, for parents, I would just say, you know, coming from someone who was a trans identified kid and, you know, just the way my parents responded to me, like they, they really thought they were doing the best thing by being harsh with me and by just trying to kind of, I guess, you know, talk some sense into me. But I think it's, it's really important to not just immediately dismiss a kid's trans identity, um, you know, listen to them, be very compassionate and open to hearing what they have to say. Um, just, just ask some really non-judgmental questions. Like, you know, for instance, like what does being a girl mean to you? Um, or, you know, what do you like about, what do you find attractive about, you know, um, 
transitioning to a boy uh what is it that you don't like about being a girl and just just trying to ask it in a very um like exploratory and uh and not non-judgmental way and i think if i had had the chance to get my thoughts out and just not feel judged that it might have prevented a lot of animosity between me and my parents and um, and obviously there's no guarantee that that will stop a kid from continuing to identify as trans, especially given all of the propaganda that's out there. But, um, you know, I think it's important for maintaining a relationship, just having a dialogue there rather than, you know, just my way or the highway. And I don't even want to hear what you have to say about it because it's ridiculous. Um, and, you know, I would also advise not to not to affirm the identity um more the most important thing is uh not medicalizing your child prior to the age of 18. uh i mean even then we would hope that you know they would not go down that path but at least if they reach age 18 and they decide to do it themselves they will not have been on puberty blockers they will have you know at, at least normal brain development um and yeah, just, you know, love your kid. Um, always try to approach the situation with compassion and understanding um, rather than like harshness and judgments. And like, you know, it's so hard to talk to kids because I, you know, most, most trans kids on TikTok, um, trans identified kids kind of just write me off as, as transphobic, but, um, you know, I guess I would just tell them, you know, I, I understand, I, I know how hard it is. Like, I've been there and I, I really, really want the best for you. And, you know, you may think that, that your parents and that a lot of adults in your life are, you know, uh, they're against you and they're, they're trying to harm you, but like, really they, they do have your best interests at mind and they're, they're trying to protect you. And that's what I'm doing with my platform as well. And even if you, even if you hate me right now, I'm going to stand by what I said, what I'm saying, because, you know, I, I want to give you the best chance at life that, that you can have. And, you know, and I do think that when you're a little bit older, you'll understand where like me and uh your parents are coming from I feel like I just aged my I just aged myself so much by saying that but um but you know it's true that was beautiful thank you Kat thank you so much Sienna it's it's been a pleasure talking with you you have such a calming voice and um I don't know I, I just I feel very at peace I felt very at peace in this conversation, even when we've broached some very difficult subjects. Oh, thank you. I'm relieved to hear that. And I'd, I'd love for anyone listening to be able to find you online. Um, where can people find you? I know you're on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. Yeah, I'm on all of the platforms. Um, my, my name on most of them is just Kat Kattenson. So uh, you should be able to find me pretty easily on um, all those platforms. And then my music name is Cat uh, Robot, and I'm also on Spotify as that. And I'm on a few other platforms. I have a secondary account as that. 
Cool. Yeah, I actually just followed you on Spotify. Oh, cool. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, again, happy belated birthday. Thank you. Thank you for gathering with me today. This was like a real treat and it's giving me a lot to think about. I'm probably going to listen to this again and maybe like text you some other questions. Um, I, I've just, I'm so grateful for people like you who are in the bridging space and who can see both sides and multiple angles and come at this from a place of love and compassion. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you, Sienna. Um, feel free to text me any questions that you might have. And um, yeah, I really, I hope you have a great day. And I, you know, I feel honored to be a guest here today. Thank you. Take care. You too.